I'll be sharing this morning from Isaiah 55. <clears throat> These are very familiar passages here. But I'd like us to look at them anew and afresh, with fresh eyes. So the Word of God doesn't change, and repetition doesn't diminish what it does. In Isaiah 55, God starts off with an invitation, and it's a great invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, <clears throat> and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. So God gives an invitation for all who are thirsty to come. It's an invitation that he gave to the woman at the well. And it's an invitation that he gave in John chapter 17 as well. And it's an invitation that he makes to us as well. He who is thirsty, let him come. So the part I want to share with you about begins in verse 6. And this is a, a command. And he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's not just calling and it's not just seeking because there are many people who seek after the Lord you know, we're fast approaching the Christmas season and the life of Christ was centered around people who were seeking after God, seeking after Him. Right from the very beginning, God began to, to speak to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, people who were seeking after God. Um, he spoke to Joseph and Mary, people who were seeking after God. On the night that Jesus was born, he announced, God announced it to shepherds, and these men left their flocks and came seeking the child. And so all of these were seeking to worship and to draw closer, but other people seek him for different reasons. Um, Pastor Roy was telling us about the people in California who, who deliberately, defiantly uh, proclaim that they are without God. And for those, um, the, our prayer is God help them. Right after Jesus was born, wise men from the east came. They were seeking the Lord. And right after they left, Herod also sought him to kill him. And so we have these kinds of things going on. And so the invitation is seek the Lord 
while he may be found. There were many people who sought after Christ. Um, on the day of the triumphant en entry into Jerusalem in John chapter 12, you have some Greeks that sought out the disciples and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. They're seeking after the Lord. They came to arrest Jesus as well in the garden. And as they came into that garden, armed with torches and swords and staves and clubs and all the other stuff, with violence on their heart and mind, Jesus asked them a question, Whom do you seek? And they said, We're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, That's me. And so they came seeking Jesus as well. After the resurrection of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, early in the morning, three days later, came to the garden tomb and she was seeking Jesus. So the invitation goes out, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But it's the, what are you going to seek and why are you seeking him? Why are you looking for him? So he tells us what the seeking involves. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And so the invitation is for us to forsake our ways of thinking and our ways of life, the unrighteousness, the wickedness of our lifestyles, to forsake those things and seek the Lord. And when we do it in that way, come with humble hearts, repentance, and seeking something different from God. He says we'll be found by him. Because God's heart is forgiveness and cleansing and compassion. It's what the cross is all about, isn't it? So he's asking us to come into his presence, inviting us. And God tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if we're thinking about um, wicked people, unrighteous people, with their motivations and their lifestyles, and the invitation is to seek the Lord, and that invitation is based upon the nature and character of God, because His mercy is his character. His forgiveness is part of who he is. And so, when wicked people do things wicked to you, what is your thoughts? When people offend you or me, what is our thoughts towards them? Um, first thing, retaliation. Um, verbal, physical, mental, emotional, Spiritual, doesn't matter. Uh, you've hurt me, I want to hurt you. Uh, you can't do that to me and get away with it, right? 
This is our thoughts. This is the intent of our hearts. This is our lifestyle. God tells us here, you need to come to me because my thoughts aren't like yours or mine. God's thoughts are not like ours. They're very much higher. And it's a good thing because if we were honest with ourselves, we have wicked thoughts. And if we are honest with ourselves, we have unrighteous ways. And so if we pray for God's justice and judgment on those who have offended us, then we are condemning ourselves. So part of the greatness and mercy of God is that his thoughts are different than ours. We think punishment, we think retribution, we think judgment, condemnation, guilt, uh, payback. And God through the cross of Christ says, I've got something better in mind for you. Now the thing is that when we allow these things in our life towards some other person, it affects us more than it affects them. It destroys something within us more than it destroys them. You know, a lot of times we're angry, we're bitter, we're resentful, uh, we're hurt, we're sorrowful, we're grieving, whatever it is, and we project that on other people, and oftentimes they're oblivious to it. Doesn't phase them at all, and they don't care. But it does do something to us, doesn't it? It consumes our thoughts, it consumes our emotional energy, it consumes us, and then it affects how we view other people, how we treat other people, how we think of even about ourselves. Uh, and we destroy ourselves, all in the name of thinking we're harming someone else, and we aren't. So he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. The opportunity for that to change in our life is here because God's thoughts are greater than ours. And his ways are very, very different. So he's asking for us to return. Now God continues and he says, As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. And God can redeem the worst person on earth that ever lived the worst person on earth that ever lived or ever will live God is able to redeem that person so he says in verse 10 as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the seer and seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What is the plan and purpose of God for you? Redemption salvation, wholeness. 
What is God's plan and purpose for the person that you're struggling with or the situation, the circumstance that you're wrestling with? Redemption, salvation, restoration, wholeness. We'll be surprised at some of the people uh, that will be in heaven. People who've done horrible, wicked things and yet They've come to know the Lord, and as a result, they've been redeemed because God's Word is effective. It doesn't negate what they've done. What it means is it's redeemed, and they have been changed, and what they've done can be healed and redeemed as well. Now, the thing is that even if we're a victim of another person or another event, there's a healing that needs to take place within us. Otherwise, we can go through life with a victim mentality. You know, poor me. Oh, I'm the victim here. This is beyond my control. I didn't do anything to deserve this. This just happened to me. Poor me. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, what did Jesus do to deserve to be crucified? Nothing. What did they do to him and he's not a victim here. More than conquerors. He redeemed all that hatred, all that animosity, all that sin, all that bitterness, all that grief, all that sorrow, all those things. He redeemed those things, took it into himself and died for it all. And so, what's God's plan and purpose here? You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. When we allow these things to get inside us, the wicked ways and our wicked thoughts, we have no joy and our peace is gone, isn't it? And we can look for other, other places and other people and other things to fill that emptiness and that void and they will fail. God is the only one who can give us this joy and peace. It's what we were created for. It's going to bring forth fruit. And that seed that brings forth fruit is going to be life. So Jesus talks to the woman at the well. And he tells her that he can offer her living water. In Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower. And it's a familiar parable to us. Um, in it, Jesus is talking about a farmer, uh, a man who, and most, remember he's talking to an agricultural society where most of the people were involved with agriculture in one way or another. And he tells them a sower went out to sow and he, as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds of the air came and devoured them. And he's going to talk about four different kinds of, of ground to receive it. And this ground will determine partly the response to the seed. 
Mark 4.14 tells us that the sower sows the word. It is the word of God that's being sown. In Isaiah 55, God says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, making it making the earth productive, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, my word is like that. It will not return empty. And the sower is sowing the word of God. It's a creative word. It's a life-giving word. It's a life-producing word. But you have to take it in to receive it in order for that to work. You can take a seed and you can set it here on this shelf and wait for it to grow and it isn't going to do anything. It's just going to sit there. It has to be planted in the good ground. So the seed on the path, seed falls on the path, it's hard, unreceptive, bounces off. Doesn't affect it. And so forth with the other, other forms of ground. So the seed has to get in the ground. And Isaiah tells us when that happens, that's when the growth takes place. Uh, that seed falls in the ground and dies. And as a result, there's life. We have a problem sometimes with God's timing. We have God's plan, God's purpose, but God's timing sometimes raises questions that we don't answer and we can't answer. They're not always negative things. Sometimes they're positive things. When Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, he offered her this water that would produce life. Um, Later on, he's going to give that same offer in the temple to those who are thirsty to come. And she takes that to heart. And she is transformed, and then she goes, and what happens when that seed begins to grow is it produces fruit. But the fruit that, that comes, the harvest, is not just within the person. It not only transformed her life, she went back to the village, and she told everyone. And everybody in the village knew who she was, you know, small town, (laughs) very small, woman of ill repute, everybody knows that person. She was shunned, she was judged, she was condemned, she was avoided, uh, or she was sought out. But everybody knew her, and they saw the transformation. And so, as she's speaking to people, they're hearing her, and they're coming to see what made this transformation. Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. 
For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is the fruit. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. These are Samaritans. These are people who are condemned and looked down on and despised by the Jews. And they're receiving the Lord. First time. First time they hear, they're receiving. So Jesus was on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee. And he delays his trip for two days to be with them. And that two days resulted in life for them. In Hosea chapter 6, interesting that Roy said that uh, God could stop the fire within three days, right? Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And there we have it again. Let us press on to know the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. My word is like the rain that comes down and waters the earth and brings forth fruit, makes it productive. After two days, he will revive us. It's not always pleasant, God's timing, is it? In John chapter 11... You have people that know the Lord. You have people that follow the Lord. You have people that walk with Him while things are good. And when difficulty comes, they all leave. And that took place in Jesus' life. Uh, the high point was the 5,000 men plus women and children. But the very next day, according to John chapter 6, and Jesus started talking about commitment and sacrifice, all those people melted away even some of his disciples were grumbling about what Jesus was saying and he even asked them are you all going to leave as well um, and it's a good question that Jesus asks us because we get wrapped up in God's timing and we think we know best and we think that God has to justify himself to us and he does not and there are things that God does that it's not for us to know. And we wouldn't understand it even if he told us. And so in these areas, we trust him. And God's timing 
is not like our timing, just like his thoughts are not like ours, just like his ways are not like ours. His timing is very different from yours and mine. We trust him that the people that we love the most, he loves them more. He created them. He redeemed them. He is their Lord and Savior forever. And so we trust him, even when we don't understand, even when we have no answers to the questions even when we walk in the dark, the Lord's presence and his, his comfort is a source of light and help to us. Even when it doesn't feel that way. Because we're not saved by feelings, are we? We're saved by the word of God and what he has done for us. Jesus did have some very close friends. And these friends were going to stick with him. And part of these friends, when everybody else deserted him and fled away, some of these women were faithful and they didn't run. In that society, they weren't threatened like the men, but they did not run. I don't think they would have run anyway. And they were faithful women. Two of them and their brother were close friends of Jesus. It says Jesus loved them. They were good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus, his good friend, got sick. Very sick. He's at the point of death. So the sisters send word to Jesus. Lord, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus said, okay. And he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And he stayed where he was for how long? Two more days. He stayed the two days with the Samaritans and it brought forth life. Hosea says, let's return to the Lord. After two days, he will revive us. And Jesus stayed where he was for two days. Now that was hard for Mary and Martha to take. During that two days, Lazarus died. They didn't understand. They were people of faith. And when Jesus does show up, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And uh, Martha hears that Jesus is on his way. She goes out to meet him. First thing she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There is a strong faith behind that as well as an accusation, isn't there? I know if you would have been here, all you had to do is say a word and he would have been healed. I know that. Why were you not here? That's the, that's the accusation in the question. I do not understand that's what's behind the question. Why were you not here when I needed you? Oftentimes when we go through difficulties and trials, it seems like God is absent. There's no feelings. And we look around and the situation and the circumstances, it indicates we're on our own here. And this is the whole point of faith, isn't it? Faith is the substance of things looked for, the evidence of things not 
seen because he's there even if we don't see him even if we don't feel him he is there we take that by faith and that's what faith is if he was standing there things were going our way we wouldn't need faith would we faith has come when we are faced with what we feel is an absence and we don't know why and we don't understand what's going on that's where Mary and Martha were There are people in our community who are there right now. Good people. Christian people. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Um, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not an event, it's a presence. And he who believes in me will never die. Now he's dead physically. But he's alive in the presence of the Lord. And he challenges her. Do you believe this? That's the challenge of faith, isn't it? When the feelings are not there, when the situation is difficult and things don't seem to be changing, when it's going from bad to worse and you're looking around and you're praying and nothing seems to be happening, then the challenge from Jesus comes, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe this? So Martha goes back and she tells her sister Mary. That's a tremendous statement here. When she said this, Martha, she said, Lord, I know that you're the Savior who's coming into the world. And after she said that, she went and called her sister Mary, saying to her in private, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. Wow. In the midst of your grief, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the loneliness and emptiness, This is the gospel, isn't it? This is the good news. The teacher is here. He's calling for you. Wow. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? God with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. That's a pretty big word. The teacher is here. He's calling for you. Mary runs out to to him and falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Questions are still there. So Jesus gets up and then he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps for his friend. Or his friend's family. And then he tells them to roll away the stone. It's a challenge to their faith. There are objections. And Jesus said, I told you that if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God. 
And so acting in obedience to God, to the command of the Lord, they rolled away the stone. And Jesus does a, a, another really great thing. He says a prayer, but notice what the prayer is. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He hasn't even asked anything. He hasn't given any command or nothing. He just stands before everybody with this tomb with a dead man in it. And he stands up and he says, thank you God for answering my prayers. The worship comes first. And the certainty comes first because he knows what he's going to do. And he knows what he's going to do because he's doing the will of God. And when you know what God's will is, then you can pray with power and authority and know that that prayer is heard. And Jesus says before he even asked anything, Father, thank you for answering this prayer. I'm telling you this beforehand, he says, so that the people around here may believe that you've sent me. And then he turns to that, to that open tomb and he says, calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. And Jesus said, untie him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Jesus delayed two days, and during that time, Lazarus died. But the plan and purpose of God was that that seed would be planted in the ground, and it would bring forth fruit. And these Jews who saw this, saw this, believed. Just like the Samaritans, after two days, they believed, and the result was life. About a week later, they crucified Jesus and put him in the ground. And they thought that the darkness had won and that they had this great victory over him. And he was there in the ground for what? Two days. Third day he rose. So there are times in our life that we're somewhere caught in the two days. And when we're caught in those two days with the fear and the doubts, the guilt and the shame, the uncertainty and the confusion, it's a challenge to faith. We know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We know that he can answer our prayers. The question is, do you believe it? And will you trust him through to the third day? Because if you will, the result will be incredible life. Let's pray. Father, help us to take to heart the invitation. Seek you while you may be found. Call upon you while you are near because your plans and purposes for us is far greater than anything that we could hope or dream or imagine. And it has to do with peace, with joy, with life. Help us, Lord, to seek you that we might live, to seek you that you might be glorified 
in us and through us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.